Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did They Do a Real Estate Podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by our special guest, Alexandro Sitar. Alejandro has been doing loans and real estate transactions in Southern California since 2006. He is a California and Florida mortgage broker and a licensed California real estate broker. He is a member of the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts and a graduate of the Infinite Banking Concept Practitioner course. Alejandro started in mortgage in 2006 and he subsequently worked for over 10 years under the prominent Los Angeles real estate broker, where he became familiar with many different real estate and financial scenarios. He started Prosperity in 2018 and now specializes in out-of-the-box real estate loans for business owners and creative entrepreneurs. So Alejandro, thank you so much for spending time with me today. How are you doing? Sela, thank you so much for having me on your show and, and it's a pleasure to meet you. Nice meeting you too. So Alejandro, if you don't mind, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you get started involved in real estate to begin with? Yes, I come from Chile. And when I came to the United States, I did many things. Like usually that's how you actually begin. And I used to be in the world of marketing. I used to make uh, those infomercials. I don't know if you remember those 30 minutes, yep. the long commercials. So I was involved in marketing for many years. And it was one of my infomercial clients that came to me one day and he said, Alejandro, would you mind going to a financial seminar? I'm hosting a financial seminar. And I said, yes, I would love to because I have been interested in finances all my life. Mm -hmm. This is my number one topic. And to make a long story short, that financial seminar introduced me to the world of real estate, which I thought it was very boring, by the way. I mean, if you would have asked me back then in the year 2000, Alejandro, are you going to work in real estate? I would have said, Sailor, are you crazy? This is so boring. <laughs> and actually, real estate is one of the most creative businesses that you can be involved in. And it has so many facets. But that was my beginning. And I did a lot of things. I worked as a commercial agent, as a realtor, as a luxury agent. I worked for a hedge fund in Century City. They had like $1.2 billion under management. They had these big hotel properties, these big office buildings. So I have been exposed to pretty much every single aspect of real estate. But what I happened to like best were loans. Because of my own experience, I remember when I came here into the US, I wanted to get a loan to just buy a car. And then I saw how difficult it was. Unless you work for a company and you have a paycheck like a W-2 employee, mm -hmm. unless you are like that, it's going to be a little hard and a little challenging to get any kind of loan. But I focus on the real estate loans because this is where my background is. That's awesome. Alejandro, thank you so much for sharing your background. So today I want to talk to you about a couple of things, right? Well, you are the uh, real estate brokers here in California. And I uh, want to ask about your insights of how California market is doing and in terms of commercial real estate here in California. What's your thought about how is it coming along and how people can find good deals here in California, especially for a state with very tenant-friendly state? 
why and why would anybody still want to invest in California? And also a second thing, like you mentioned earlier on your background earlier, self-employed professionals like artists or business owners or entrepreneurs, when they try to get into real estate, it's a little bit difficult because they don't have that like W-2 income to shows or something like that, right? So, yes. and you design a product uh, like an out-of-the-box, like a loan to help the self-employed professional, how we going to uh, get those loans. So let's start with the first one. From your experience as a broker here in California for many, many years, what's your thought about California's uh, real estate markets going on right now? That's a very good question. And I would say that it's a complicated answer because California, it's a great economy. If we were a country, we'll be like, I believe the number five of the number six country with a population of like, I believe 40 million people. The economy in California, the weather, the actual resources, the agricultural land, everything will point to make us one of the most successful countries and one of the most successful states. And this was so before in the 80s, in the 70s, we were very successful. Unfortunately, today we are on our way down. Having said that, it's difficult for new real estate investors to actually navigate the laws. You mentioned tenant friendly. That's mm -hmm. one way to put it. But another way that I would prefer to put it is landlord and friendly. And those regulations really don't help anyone, don't help the tenants either, because there is a shortage of homes in California. There is a shortage, I believe, of 300,000 homes. But even if you were to build as if by magic 300,000 homes right now, mm -hmm. that would be just to clear the backlog further, you know, increases in, in the population and economic activity. So we have all of the ingredients to make California the most successful state. However, the thinking is not there. So there is a big challenge for real estate investors. Another challenge that you may face, but not so because I noticed that you invest in other states, most of the properties don't pencil out. When you mm -hmm. put a property on a spreadsheet and you look at the fundamentals, they don't pencil out. So in order to find good deals in California, I find out that the best deals comes from networking. They don't come from looking at listing services or even hiring agents. The best deals comes when you do your own networking, when you talk to insurance agents, when you talk to CPAs, when you talk to lawyers and you find out specific situations and that's how you can get in. And that's one way to get in. Another way to get in for the smaller investor or the independent professional is just to buy a property and maybe live in the property or maybe buy a small property that you can manage. Unfortunately, in California, there are not a lot of opportunities because it's either the small business owner or the institutional investor that can buy an $18, $20 million project. In the middle is where you face, in my opinion, the biggest challenge. In the middle, let's say you have a few million dollars to invest and you could buy an excellent property anywhere else than that in California. Here, you can go to other cities. You can go to Yorba Linda. Yorba Linda is not that bad. You can go to Riverside. You can go to the east side of California and you might find things there. But that's where you're going to be the most challenged. Got it. Got it. And Alejandro, pretty sure is that there's a lot of investors as they're investing in California, right? And yes. even though the deals are not penciled out, but what the opportunities that they see here that they wanted to take that risk and invest in California and still being successful from your experience? From my experience is the appreciation of the property. Whereas in another state, you may invest for cash flow for income. Mm -hmm. The cash flow or income, it's very difficult to make a pencil out. But because of the politics that don't allow for the expansion of the inventory, 
that makes the inventory to be very, very tight. And because it's very, very tight, appreciation, what I noticed in California, mm -hmm. it's very, very high. So a lot of people invest for appreciation. And as long as the property breaks even or doesn't lose too much money, they are okay with that because mm -hmm. they know that in a few years, appreciation will take care of them. Got it, got it. And Alejandro, and you helping like independent professionals investing in real estate, like W2 employees, they have their stable income coming in so then they can buy investments easily, right? As long as that ratio is all the meeting the guideline. What about the self-employed professionals like artists, business owners or entrepreneurs? They have like random income and how do they get involved into real estate investment? Well, you can get involved using a type of loan, which they call it the DSCR or debt service coverage ratio. Mm -hmm. Those loans have advanced a lot compared to a few years ago. Today, if you have a property that just breaks even, meaning that the rents that you get from the property or the rents that you could get from the property, because if the property is vacant, the lender will send an appraiser. The appraiser basically will see what rents that neighborhood is pulling and they will try to guess What are the typical rates that that property could get? So if those typical rents or the ones that are already there, the renters that are already there, at least break even, meaning you can pay for the new loan, you can mm -hmm. pay for taxes, you can pay for insurance, and that would be a DSCR or debt service ratio equal to one, you can get financing, believe it or not. And you can get financing in very attractive terms. One of the flip sides of being in Southern California or in California is that Even though you have all these challenges, because you have all these challenges, the actual competition from lenders is strong. Mm -hmm. So you can get good loans at a DSCR of one or 1.1. That means just a little bit more than what the property costs. So that's one way that you can get in. Another way that you can get in at the very, very beginning, if this is your first time, if you're going to want to be on a multifamily property the first time, is be the owner of a fourplex and live in one unit. Then mm -hmm. you can buy it with 10% or even less down. And then as long as everything pencils out and the criteria is very flexible, that could be an in onto your first property. Got it. And Alejandro, you mentioned about DSCR loan. That's coverage ratio, right? And you're talking about like as long as the property can pay for the principal interest tax and insurance, like equal to one, then chances are you are able to purchase the property, right? What about other expenses on the property itself, right? The property usually come with other expenses like utilities, uh, like turnovers and all that. Are those being taken into the accounts of the calculation? This is a very interesting question. And there are two worlds. There is the world with one to four that is considered residential and the mm -hmm. world of the building having five units or more that is considered like a commercial world. Mm -hmm. If you are in the commercial world, yes, you really need to take into account the net operating income, which would include all of the expenses that you set, plus a reserve for maintenance. Usually the people that are in the universe of the one to four sometimes are not aware of those expenses, but the lenders don't ask you to cover those expenses. So right. they don't ask you to cover electricity, water, or a reserve. They're only in the residential world, which is one to four. Mm -hmm. All they ask you is that rents will cover the new loan, principal interest, taxes, and insurance. That's all. I mean, you and I know that it's going to be more expenses. You and I know that there is going to be repairs. Things are going to go wrong, water, and so on. But they expect you to cover that. Not so on the commercial world. In the commercial world, then you, like you mentioned, all of this has to be covered. We love hosting this show. 
When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it, got it. And so basically, DSCR loan can be used for both the single-family homes and also for the commercial loan. Yes. Got it, got it. And then what about from the buyers itself? As a self-employed professional, what is required from the buyers in order to be qualified for the loan? That's a very good question. It depends on the loan program. By the way, we have developed a new private loan program that we call soft money. We call it soft money. You know, I was on your website a few moments ago and I was listening to a gentleman that does hard money loans. And he was saying he can close the loan in a week. He was talking about rates of 13% plus three points. That's like about 16%. And he was talking about the one-year loan and so on. That is the universe of the hard money lender. And as he said, the hard money lender has a place. And then on the other side of the equation, you have the institutional lenders that requires you a mountain of paperwork that take months to decide. And what happens is we've seen many deals that make total sense. But for some reason or other, the box that the lender wants is not there. But the deal is not really a hard money lender or a hard money loan either because the risk profile is not there. So you have a person that is in the middle. He almost qualifies for institutional. He doesn't really need hard money, but hard money is the only option. So he goes to hard money. So we created what we call the soft money approach, which mm -hmm. is right in the middle. We still ask for tax return. We still run the credit report. We still want to see that the borrower has the ability to repay. Mm -hmm. But... We don't care about all those boxes that the lenders want to fill in because it's a privately done loan. So now we have the ability to do what we call a loan that makes sense. We don't only look at the property like the hard money lender. We looked at the ability to repay, but we don't charge what the hard money lender charges. You know, our rates are between 8% and 9%. Mm. We still charge three points, sometimes less, but we try to be in the middle. So you, we use that, by the way, as the last resort. What we try to do first, we try to place the borrower with an institutional lender. Mm -hmm. So a self-employed business owner or artist that doesn't fit all the boxes, we have like seven different loan programs before we offer our soft money option. Some of those options are like bank statements. We look at the cash flow because self-employed individuals They may not have the tax return like the lender wants, but most of them have a healthy cash flow, even if it's a variable cash flow. Mm -hmm. So with bank statements, we're able to use the cash flow. Other uh, self-employed individuals have a lot of assets. They don't have necessarily cash flow. They don't necessarily have the taxes. So we can use the assets. Or sometimes we do a combination between the assets and the cash flow. And, and for the self-employed borrowers that do have tax returns, but let's say they go to a major bank, Yes. And even though they have tax returns, the bank will decline them. We have lenders where we can take those tax returns. They will look at them and they would approve them. So to answer your question is, we have about 13 to 14 institutional lenders that although they're institutional, their criteria is a little bit more flexible. 
and we try to take the client there first. If that fails, then we offer our private solution. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So you have a network of institutional lenders that you work with, and then you try to pair, so you know, like the best products for your client doesn't work out, and then you have a fail safe. Basically, the chances of getting a loans or financing for a property for self-employed professional if they're going through your company. That's it. And then for the soft loans or the loans that you mentioned earlier, they all DSCR loan. That's what you no, mentioned. No, no, they are no DSCR loans. They are like your other guest mentioned. They are like common sense loans. They are loans where we adapt the loan to the customer. Now we are one of the very few owners that do offer private owner-occupied loans, because I don't know if you're aware, but if you're an owner-occupied, federal law restricts you tremendously on what you can offer. And you have to have all the licenses, you have to do all the disclosures, right of rescission, blah, blah, blah. Most private lenders shy away from that, but we're fully licensed. We do the full protocol. So these private loans, they extend even to the case of the Mm owner-occupied. And then if it's owner-occupied, we have to follow federal guidelines. So we need to make sure that the person has ability to repay. But even then, even within the federal guidelines, there is a lot of flexibility. So we basically look at the whole picture. Yes, we ask for tax returns. Yes, we run the credit. We do all of that. But on the private, we do the underwriting. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot more flexible than the institutional one. I don't know if that answers your question. Yes, definitely. It's answered my question, Alejandro. So thank you so much for clarifying that. And also, it's like uh, you mentioned about the abilities to pay, to pay back. What are we looking for for the abilities to pay back? We're only looking that we want to see that the borrower really can pay back the loan. Um, now, when you go to an institutional lender, they have a lot of rules. You have to have the business for so many years. You have to be within a certain category. But like your other guest mentioned, I sometimes spend half an hour with, or sometimes an hour with a prospect, just listening to him without Mm -hmm. asking any paperwork, because I want to make sure that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. If he says I make $5,000 a month, for example, just to pull an example, I don't want to see something precise. I want to see from a common sense point of view that if he has makes $5,000, so he says I make $5,000 a month. And if he shows me a tax return that says he makes $10,000 a year. I mean, I understand that people don't want to pay taxes, but my first question is going to be, how come you make $5,000 a month and your tax says that it's only $10,000 a A year? year. That is not necessarily a disqualifying factor for us, but we want to make sure that things make sense. Mm -hmm. If the person says, well, I'm going to borrow the money. I really don't know how to pay it off, but I'm planning on selling the house. Then that is not for us. That is only for a hard money lender. Because mm-hmm. we want to make sure, okay, you plan on sell the house, that's good. But in the meantime, we want to know that you can really afford to pay the loan. We know that the equity is in there, but we don't want you to be in foreclosure. We don't want you to have a problem. Also, all these private loans come from investors. So we don't want to go back to our investor and say, hey, you know, there is a problem on this loan, but don't worry, we're going to sell the house, but that has expenses. It takes time. So we want to be fair to our investors too. Got it. That makes sense. And Alejandro, you mentioned about investors. So basically, you got all this funds from your investors, right? And yes. then you do a soft money loan for other real estate investors or busy self-employed professionals. And you mentioned earlier, it's about like 8 or 9%. And how do you convince your investor to fund your soft money loan? Because the risk is less. You see, our borrowers can really pay for the loan. The equity is on the property. We mm-hmm. usually have 30% cushion of equity. Got it. We usually show the investor that the person can really pay the loan. Also, our DTI is 43% or less. 
Mm-hmm. So we show the investor that the person is not saddled. This is not his last resort. He can pay the loan. He has a viable exit strategy. What he says he's doing, he's done it before to some degree. Also, we specialize in very complicated legal cases that nobody wants to spend the time to understand. So we offer, in my opinion, more security to the investor because yes, a hard money lender may say, yeah, but I give you all of this equity. It's true. The equity is in there, but when it forecloses, it's not that simple. Sometimes it takes six months. You have to pay a lawyer. Yes. Yes. The investor will get the money, but you have to go through a process. So we try to avoid going through the process. So to answer your question, we say, look, if you go to a bank, if you open a CD, if you go to Wall Street, if you play the market, you will be lucky to get what? Even in today's with the rates as high as they are. Mm-hmm. For a really secure investment, if you get 6 to 7%, that will be great. Mm-hmm. That will be awesome. Yeah. We're offering you 8 or 9. So you get a premium. You get pretty much what the prime rate is if you're going to get a loan. But now you are at the receiving end of the prime rate. Got That's it. how we convince him. I say, yes, you can go to another hard money lender. And he may pay you 12. He may pay you 13. There is an added element of risk. And we let the investor choose. Got it. That makes sense. And Aleha Joyce, for the terms, right, for one to four units, is it the same things as like conventional bank, for example, like 30 years amortizations and basically 30 years payment? And then what about the commercial size, the SCRs? What is the typical terms and balloon payments uh, usually we see? On the commercial side, we're only limited to the small balance loans. So mm-hmm. we don't go, we don't entertain projects more than $5 million. Mm-hmm. And usually we go a lot less than that. It was a marketing decision that we made. When you start to get into big projects, the competition is very fierce. Yes. You can get a lender that has only one eighth, like that's 0.125% better than you. And usually you lose the deal and you have to spend a lot of time trying to quote those deals. So we decided we're not going to focus on the big deals. We're only Mm going to focus on the small deals. Got it. So we only do commercial loans when we already have established relationship with a residential client. We have many high net worth individuals that came to us, like we have a case, very simple, very quickly. This is a business owner. His business sells like 20 to $30 million a year. He mm-hmm. was with an institutional lender for 20 years. He went to his banker and he says, hey, I'm going to buy a house. What can you do for me? And they go, oh, you're the best client for you. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. He said, okay. He started to do it. And he had a little, I would say, a trivial issue on his credit report that we solved in a couple of months. And because of that, the lender for 20 years of his multi-million dollar company just declined him. So that's how we became friends. Now he wants to buy a warehouse for his business and we're going to help him do that. But we usually don't go into the commercial unless we already have a pre-established working relationship. Because Mm -hmm. from the same thing that I did before, if we're going to invest all that time and money in getting him the commercial loan, we want to make sure that when we do, we can proceed. Got it. Got it. Alejandro, is there anything else regarding the commercial loans for self-employed professionals that you would like to share with us or with our listeners that I haven't asked? Um, That's a very good question, Sayla. What I can say is this. We have a connection to one of the biggest Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac commercial bank issuers because Some people don't know this, but like you have a Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae loan to buy your residential home. Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae also have enormous pools of money. And I'm talking about deals, 10, 20, 30, $70 million. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can be used too to buy multifamily, absolutely amazing terms. For those clients that want that, 
we have a connection with one of the biggest lenders and then we work with them. So that's what we do for those clients. We are not really good on industrial. We're not really good on retail. If it's small industrial, meaning below 5 million and small retail, Mm a couple of million, we can really help. But we really excel on the one to four. In we really excel into the one to four solutions, whether institutionals or through our soft money. And we can really connect the institutional multifamily buyers with the premier Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac supplier. That's basically our expertise. We don't do the other type of loans very well. That's why we don't do them. <laughs> That's awesome. Alejandro, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, talking to me about your real estate journey, about your companies, and about your different type of loan programs that you have to, to share with our listeners, the DSCR loan, and different programs that you have. So if our listener wanted to find out more about you and about your company and wanted to working with your company, getting the loans, where can they go? The easiest way is to do a free appointment consultation on our website. If you go to our website, which is uh, Prosperity, like something prosperous, Mm -hmm. prosperitylending.us, in most of the pages, you'll see a green link on the top right-hand corner that says free consultation. Just click on it and select one of the dates that I am available, and we can have a 30-minute Zoom call or phone conversation, Mm -hmm. and that is the best way that I can answer your questions. Got it, Alejandro. Thank you so much again for spending time with me today. We appreciate you. Thank you, Sela. Very pleased to meet you. And thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.